1: My name is Colin Grant. I'm the family pastor here at the Kirk, and it's always uh, a privilege to get to be up front and to open God's Word with you. It's fun that it's just a new year, and like Caitlin said earlier, it's about new things, and we get to talk about that a little bit today. I told you we're going to talk about Jesus, and so we're going to talk a lot about Jesus today and kind of what he might be wanting for us as a church. We're starting our new series today, which is our mission statement that we have been rolling out which is that we are a Christ-centered community for you, for Tulsa, and for the world. And in the coming weeks, the next three weeks, Aaron and Dan will kind of play out and teach about the for you, for Tulsa, and for the world part. And today I get to talk about what it actually means to be a Christ-centered community, because I think that's important to have in place first before we try to do all the rest of it together. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on. And so the question that we want to think about that I'd like to start with is when we think about the Kirk, when you think about our church, our community here, what is it that we actually want to be known for? What is it when people ask about the church or they hear, maybe they drive by and ask somebody, hey, do you know, you know anything about the Kirk of the Hills? Tell me about it. Like, what is it that we would hope that people would say. And there are a lot of things out there. When you think about churches, if you go to a new town and you just start asking about churches, there are a lot of reasons why people would recommend a church. There are a lot of things they say about churches. Some of those, and some of them sometimes would be a negative thing, which would be really bad. A lot of them are positive things, but I'm not sure if they're the right things. And some of the people, some of the things on that list would be these. They've got a really popular preacher, or they've got great worship, or they've got incredible facilities. You should see like the gymnasium they have in that place. Or they've got a huge social media following. They do awesome with that. Or they are really well known for these community events that they do for their city. Or they've got huge budgets. Or they've got really impressive attendance numbers. Those are all good things, right, in a church. Those are things that can if used in the right way, give you more reach to share the gospel and good news with people. But we can also forget that there are many, many, many churches across our world that are good, faithful, strong, Jesus-loving churches that have none of those things. But they're following what God has called them to do. They're loving their people well. They're sharing the good news of Jesus. And I think those are the things that I would hope— when we first think about what we wanted to be known about, it's those types of things. That people would know us as a Christ-centered community. Maybe we've got some of that other stuff. But when people would talk about the Kirk first, they'd say, you know what? The people in that church love Jesus more than they love anything else. And they love each other really well in his name. And that's the place you want to be if you want to be close to Jesus. That's what I would hope for the Kirk. That's what we would want. To be. But it's easy in our culture to get distracted, right? Because our culture has all kinds of other values that we place and all kinds of other things that we say that you want to look for in order to say something is kind of like legit or it's good or it's, it's doing good ministry. And we kind of live in a similar situation as we're going to be looking at Second Corinthians today. The Corinthian church, the more you get to know the Corinthian church, the more you start to realize, okay, it was very, very similar to the culture that we live in today. Very similar. And so, Paul's dealing with the same thing as he's talking to the Corinthian church. He's got a lot of problems and he's had a lot of heartache and shed a lot of tears over this church because he went to Corinth and he planted this church and he was kind of their spiritual father and bringing them along. And as he went off and continued on his journey, other teachers came in and other preachers who were preaching false gospels and leading in other ways and holding up other values um, that were really prevalent. In Corinth and in that part of the world in that day. And those were things like individualism and self-sufficiency. Do it yourself. It's all about what you can do on your own. Wealth was held as one of the highest things. It was such a materialistic culture. they were all about flaunting their accomplishments and boasting about their importance and their status in society. And even when it came to preaching, it wasn't so much about the content of the preaching. It was about the flair and how good they could make themselves sound, that they were just really good speakers. And so that, if you know anything about Paul, he doesn't really fit into those things. Those aren't the same priorities that Paul had. And so when he goes, a lot of the church, the majority of the people in the church, had kind of left Paul behind, and they had left the gospel of Jesus. And so then, if you kind of look at the backstory, he writes more letters to them to try to bring them back. And he sends Timothy and he sends Titus to go and minister to the church and to bring them back. And when we start here today, looking at this part in chapter five, the majority of the folks in that church had come back and were trying to follow the way of Jesus again and were trying to um, be faithful to what Paul was teaching them. But there were still some who hadn't and they were causing a lot of division. They were still looking at things through the lens of their culture and holding up the values of their culture instead of the things that Paul was trying to teach them. And Paul wasn't concerned with those things. He, he used to be more concerned with them, but at this point, he'd had this run-in with Jesus, and Jesus had changed his life, and he just wanted people to know the good news of Jesus. He didn't care what they thought about him so much, only... To the point of they would listen to what he had to say and they basically were saying about paul these other teachers like you know why he's not legitimate you know why his gospel is not legitimate because he's poor because he doesn't even ask for a lot of money when he teaches like they were because he's suffering for the gospel that he preaches what kind of gospel is it that you would have to suffer for and yet paul's message continues to be as he's faithful to christ I'm telling you about the Son of God who came to suffer and to die. I'm following his example and calling you to follow his example. And I know that's so countercultural to everything else that's going on around you guys, but that's what he was calling the Corinthian church to do. And that's the challenge of our church in our day, to call people to follow a way that's very countercultural, that's very different in so many ways to what all the other messages around them are going to be saying. And so there's this, this danger to measure in a wrong way based on um, the way the culture sees things. And in fact, just if you go back to 12, verse 12 real quick, he says, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what's seen instead of what's in the heart. He's saying they're all focused on this stuff that's easy to measure, that's easy to see. We're focused on stuff that's in the heart that's important to God. His motivation was twofold. He knew and understand that our God was just, which meant those who were in opposition to God, those who were still sinners, were going to have to face judgment one day. And Paul knew that that was real, and he knew that it was true, and he wanted to help people avoid that because he knew it was a big deal. And he knew fully the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, and that his death on the cross is what Got us away from that judgment and made a way for us to be back in a right relationship and so no matter what it felt like looked like no matter what he had to suffer for the sake of that gospel he wanted people to know there is a way to avoid the judgment of our good and righteous god our just god and it's through his son jesus christ and so he's trying to figure out the way to help that church in corinth learn to be christ-centered to let go of everything else that was around them to let go of all the messages that they were hearing and to be a Jesus-first kind of church. And when I think about Jesus-first, I'm thinking of it in terms of Christ-centered, but it's just a term that, as I've thought about it, just easier for me to think, like, when it comes to making decisions, when when it comes to thinking about things in my life, that's easy for me to think, is that, am I putting Jesus-first in this? Is that a Jesus-first decision? Am I loving the way he wants me to love? Am I thinking the way he wants me to think? And I'll be honest with you guys, I feel like I'm just part of the way there. I feel like I have a long way to go. And my hope is we think about, you know, a new year kind of thing. Like I want this to be what I'm thinking about this year. That this year would be a year that I really strive and am intentional about making this a Jesus first year. In my personal life, in my relationships with God and with my family and with my friends and my ministry here at the church. Um, that I start letting go of some of those things myself that maybe I've held on to and put Jesus first. And that's my hope for us as a church, as a congregation. We think about, you think about the communities that you're in and Bible studies or small groups or youth group or whatever. Like, you think, what would it look like a year from now if we were super intentional this next year about being Jesus first people? How would it change us? How would our communities look different? How would we relate differently to each other? I think that's what paul was wanting for the corinthian church that's what he was wanting them to grasp onto and and yearn for and that's what i would hope that we would want to yearn for as we're starting this year being for people and being for our city and being for our world that we start right in here that we want to be for jesus first in all things because to live like christ which paul is calling them to do means live for christ means we need to live like christ And he started right there in verse 15, where he said, And he died for us all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so you can see how counterculture, again, that message is. When they live in a culture, it's like, it's about you. It's about you. It's about making yourself great. It's about making yourself rich. It's about making yourself healthy. It's okay if you have to step on other people or push them down to do it. And Paul comes in and says, Actually, if you're following Jesus, If you're giving your life to him, it's not about living for yourself anymore. It's about living for Jesus. And so he's going to play out in these next verses what that actually means. Like, what does it look like then for us to do that? What would that mean? And so in verse 16, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So he's saying, Okay, let's remove the filter. Let's remove the cultural filter that we put on people. And let's try to put on the eyes of Jesus and see people differently. And, and he knows, in fact, he gives the example, like we even saw Jesus wrongly. We misunderstood what the Messiah, who he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to be about. Paul himself used to be persecuting Christians because he believed that Jesus was not, couldn't be, couldn't possibly be based on who, what he looked like and what he did. How could he be the Messiah? He had to be a false teacher until he had this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. And Paul realized, no, this is the Messiah. This actually is the king. And I was all wrong about what I was looking for. I was all wrong about what I was expecting. This is a whole different way than what I thought. And he's even saying to the congregation there in the Corinthian church, like, for you guys, I'm not going to look at you any longer using this cultural filter. I'm not going to value you based on how much money you have. I'm not going to value you based on how much success you have in business or in the world. I'm not going to place my value on you based on what other people are saying about you. I want to look at you through the eyes of Jesus. And I'm going to see you just like I see everybody else as people in need of a Savior, as broken people who sin that need Jesus in their lives, as people who only have value as much as they cling to Jesus because of what he's done for them. That's the new perspective that we have. There's, if you want to throw up that picture one more time, um, I don't know if you can tell what's going on here, but it's just one of those cool pictures where it's like the little orb thing, and you see it. Usually in those pictures, you see like the world's the right way up, and the picture in the orb is the wrong way. I like this one, because it's actually more true spiritually, I think. You start to realize the world around us and the way of the world is upside down. It's actually Jesus' picture of the world that's right. That helps us see things straight the way it's supposed to be. And so that's what Paul is wanting this church to understand. Even though it seems normal what you're experiencing around you, that doesn't mean that it's right. Jesus brings the way that's right in a new perspective. And then he goes on in verse 17, talking about an old life versus a new life. And he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And he's wanting to help them see that. Everything changes when you follow Jesus. He's wanting to change everything about you. It's not supposed to be like you're kind of like the churchy version of your neighbor. Like the rest of your life pretty much stays the same. You just add a few things that make you like Christian, I guess. I think what he's trying to say is like everything about you should change. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I know I have things in my life that are like old way thinking, old life ways of doing things. And sometimes, like, if I think honestly about myself, I feel like I'm, like, this is the Jesus life that he wants for me, and I'm kind of, like, here, but I kind of got my foot dragging behind me. I'm holding on to some things. I'm not wanting to let go. I'm not wanting to step fully into what it is that he wants for me. And those are hard things sometimes to let go of, the habits that we have or the things that we do or the ways that we think about life or about people. But he's wanting us to step in. He's wanting us to be all in. In fact, there's three things I would say just real quick that I think the Corinthians probably struggled with that we probably do too. The first we've already kind of tackled, but it's that whole like self-focused way of living that God wants us to think about others. And here's why, I think. Because we have a hard time believing it, but living for ourselves is actually a dead end. It's a trap. It doesn't bring fulfillment like we think it would. We think it makes sense like to try to grab everything for yourself and that's what's going to make you happy. But in reality, if you've ever actually tried to live God's way, even for a short amount of time, going on a mission trip or going to serve other people or just letting go in some way and giving instead of to yourself to someone else, you realize you experience this joy that's promised. That the Holy Spirit does something in your heart and the more you do that, the more you start to realize, you know what? Maybe I can trust Jesus in this. Maybe the way he's wanting me to live actually is better maybe it actually is more joy filled when i gave myself away to him and to other people and i hold on less for myself and then the second thing is this which i think is so huge for us obviously the corinthians didn't have social media that's something we got today which just blows this up even more but they had this whole problem of building themselves up and promoting this false self They could never admit anything was wrong. They could never admit that they messed up or they were weak. It was all about just making them look as good as they possibly could. And if anyone's on social media, you know that's the trap that you find there is that it's really hard to just be genuine and honest about who you are and about what your life is like because it's this comparison game that's going on just like they had back then. And yet we find freedom when we can be honest. We find freedom when we can... Get at least with a group of people that are like-minded and love Jesus and say, you know what, I really do struggle with some things here. And and what I've found so far in my faith journey is that at least if you can find a a small group of people that are willing to be honest too, usually you say, you know what, I struggle with this. And if you're willing to go first, (laughs) there's other people around the table that will be like, yeah, I do too. You feel like you were alone, but you realize very quickly that you're not That you being honest gives other people the freedom to be honest. But it's letting go of the old life and stepping in to the new. And then the last one I would say, thinking in terms of relationships, of school, of work, even coming to church, it's easy to have a mindset of like, what am I going to get out of this? You know, like, what's in this for me? And if there's nothing, it doesn't seem to be something in it for me, then I'm out it's a relationship I feel like I'm not benefiting from, then I'm out. If it's not getting something out of this work or this job or school, I'm just going to give up on this class. Or even when we walk into church sometimes, we can have this kind of consumer mindset that's like, if it's entertaining, if I like it, then I'm good. I'm there. If it's not, maybe I'll do something else or go somewhere else. And I think stepping into the new life is letting go a little bit of what's in it for me and saying, what does God want me to bring into this? What does god want me to bring and give to this relationship what does he want me to bring and give at school who can i encourage a student a teacher at work who needs some attention and love that i can give them that overflows from christ's love through me even in church i think we become more christ-centered as we walk in these doors on a sunday morning just with this mindset and this prayer in our hearts thinking like lord there's, there's got to be someone in this building today that needs encouragement." There's got to be somebody that could use a hug, that could use a kind word, that's had nobody listen to them this week about what's going on in their life. Would you show me who that is? Would you help me to be bold, even if it's uncomfortable, to sit down with them and just listen, to ask how they're doing, to take the focus off of me for a few minutes and, and put it on them? And I think as we do things like that together, it changes us individually, changes our relationship with Jesus, and it makes us a whole different kind of community. So we have the new perspective, we have the old life versus the new life. And then next we get to verse 18 and 19 and I was thinking of this in terms of this idea of resting and reconciliation. I know that sounds weird, but I'll explain after I read it here. 18 and 19. He says, "All of this from God. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. And I think the first five words in that section are really important. All this is from God. And I think what Paul's fighting against right here in this section is this, this fight against the self-sufficiency, the fight against their culture that said, You know what? You're really good if you can do it on your own. You're really good if you don't need any help. You're really good if you don't ever have to go ask from anybody else. And we know that's not true deep inside, but we can fall into that same same mindset. And Paul says right from the start, hey, when it comes to your relationship with God and where you are and the standing you now have, it's from God. It's not from you. It's nothing you can earn. It's nothing you can do. And in fact, when you start to believe that, it brings rest. You can rest in the reconciliation that God brings because you can let go of all the effort that you feel like maybe you had to put in, that I'm always having to try to please God. I'm always having to try to do the right thing in order for him to love me and want to be in a relationship. No, God takes the first step. God always makes the first move. We can love God because God first loved us. We can know God because God made us and he knew us and the things that we struggled with. We can follow God and trust him because he stepped in to save us and to provide a good way for us. And then he says, you're reconciled because of what I've done for you. That means our relationship is made right. You're in a good place now. You can be called a son or a daughter of the king. And and what I'm asking you to do now is not to go do anything crazy. I'm asking you just to tell other people about your experience with me. Tell them what I've done for you and offer them the same hope. It's open for you and it's open for them. And so he gives us that message to go and share. And he takes it one step further by what the title he gives us next. He's talking about himself and his co-workers, but he's talking about us as well. Verses 20 and 21, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. We have this message that he's given us, and an ambassador is someone that goes on behalf of someone else, that goes on behalf of a country or someone else into a foreign land, to a foreign people, to share something. To build relationship. And God's saying to us, who we often feel like we're the broken, messed up people when we're honest with ourselves, that's what our life can feel like, why would he call me to do that? Not because of who I am, but because of who he is and what he wants to do through us. So he sends us with this message, and some of you guys maybe in this section would know better than others in the room, but there's this thing that's gotten more and more popular called being a brand ambassador, so you see it a lot online but a lot of clothing companies and stuff are looking for people to just like represent them by wearing their stuff by you know taking pictures of themselves with it on social media sharing it with their friends and then you get a little bit of a kickback if you do that you can make a little money off of the profit of people are buying stuff with your code or whatever it is but here's the thing if you've ever done that or you know people that do it doesn't work very well if you're not like bought into the stuff that you're trying to sell right like if you don't actually like the clothes you're probably not gonna sign up and if you do you're not gonna do very well because you're not going to want to wear the clothes and if you're not taking pictures of yourself and putting it out there and talking to people about it it doesn't work and i know being a brand ambassador for a clothing company is a lot different than being an ambassador for christ but i think he starts here by saying i implore you to be reconciled because that means i want you to be bought in you need to be bought into what jesus is doing and who jesus is if you're going to go out there and share the good news about him you got to believe the good news about him if you're going to go out there and tell people that he provides joy and hope for life, you want to be experiencing the joy and hope for life that he provides, right? You can't be standing over here in the world and trying to tell people about a new life if you're not living the new life yourself. But we get to do that. It's a privilege as his people to go out and to share the good news with others. And then at the end here, he takes, talks about this idea that, you know, on the cross— Jesus took our sins upon himself. But because of the cross, he places his righteousness on us. And it does two really important things for us. It gives us a whole new identity where we can let go of what the world thinks. We can let go of other people think, although that's easier said than done. But we can also let go of what we think. And that's the trick, I think. One of the, the biggest, hardest things in faith is to believe because of what Jesus has done for me, even though I know I still mess up, I still sin, I still do things I shouldn't do, I feel like I'm dirty and broken, yet Jesus tells me because of what he's done, he's placed his righteousness on me, and God no no longer sees those things. We still see them, we still concentrate on them, but Scripture tells us God sees us as clean and pure, which should give us confidence then to step out into our world as God's children, as his ambassadors, who he sees completely differently knowing that it's not based on us and our brokenness and doing all the right things, but it's based on who he says that we are, that we go out with this message. And he gives us a new purpose, a new identity, and a new purpose for our living and for our life. And so what does that look like? I think all of us in this room, if you were a follower of Jesus and you really take a few minutes to think about it, you can think about people that have been faithful ambassadors in your life whether it's been grandparents or parents or neighbors or teachers or youth pastors or pastors or whatever, good friends who have been willing to maybe put things aside in their life and spend time with you to go out of their way to encourage and love you, people willing to share the good news of Jesus, maybe to keep inviting you over and over again till you would finally say yes to go to some Christian thing that you never wanted to go to but ended up changing your life. Who knows what that story was? We all have different ones, but we all have ambassadors people that took this job seriously in their life. And I do too. And I put this list together um, that we're going to leave up for a minute. And just want you to look at it, because I think in some ways there's probably a lot more you could add to this list. But when I think about faithful, righteous ambassadors, I feel like this, these things would fall into the job description. These are things, as you think about those people in your life, you could probably say, yes, a lot of these things are true about the people that I'm thinking of. And I, as you're looking at that, I just want to tell you about a few in my own life real quick as I, as I close. Um, people that have just done some of these things for me. And I would start by saying my parents, especially when I was young, who were willing, although a lot of people in the world weren't doing, you know, focusing on trying to raise their kids in the faith, they wanted to do that. And I know a lot of you have parents that have done that for you as well. And a lot of you are trying to be parents that are doing that. But that's important to lay that foundation and be pointing to Jesus, pointing your kids to Jesus, even when they don't want to hear it, pointing your kids to Jesus. And my family did that for me. And my mom, who was an example of just trusting the Lord in the midst of really hard circumstances, when we didn't know how God was going to provide, we didn't know what God was going to do with, with our need, And yet, we got to watch her as kids trust the Lord. She probably had some stress and anxiety going on behind the scenes, but I know her first thought was to be Jesus first and to trust him. And I think that made a big difference in my life and in the lives of my siblings. I think about people who were burden bearers for me when my dad died in middle school and I was completely lost um, to have a couple guys, Mr. Turner and a great name, the next guy, Mr. Church, because that's what we're supposed to be all about, but that was actually his name, who stepped in and put their arms around me and walked beside me as a middle schooler. I thought they were ancient, you guys. I thought these guys were like 80. And then I think back and I realize I think they're my age right now when they did that, which makes me think you guys probably think I'm like way older than I am, but that's okay. But these were guys who, it was probably somewhat uncomfortable for them. They didn't really know me like super well before that, Um, but they spent time. And I think they would look back and say it wasn't that big of a deal. They invited me to like go golf every once in a while with them or to go like mow their yard with them. That was probably more helpful for them than it was for me. But while doing things like that, they would just rub shoulders and talk to me and remind me of what God thought about me and remind me that I was loved and remind me that my life had value even though I was struggling to figure out what life was supposed to look like with all I'd been through. And they didn't just do it for a little while. They didn't, it wasn't crazy what they were doing, but they were consistent. In fact, Mr. Church and his wife still pray for me and my family 30-some years later. And I talked to him usually at least once or twice a year. Years later, they drove like eight hours to my wedding and then turned around and drove home just to be there, just to be present. But it's little things like that that can make a big difference. And I think about people that love me unconditionally, In college, two college guys, Jonathan Cleveland and Kevin Matthews, I was not living the life I was supposed to be living. I wasn't doing the things I was supposed to be doing. My focus was not on Jesus. I wasn't talking the way I was supposed to be talking. And One day, knock, knock, knock on my dorm room door, and these two random guys are standing there, part of a ministry called Campus Crusade, and they're just talking to people, befriending them, sharing the good news of Jesus. And I'm sure, I don't remember my first response when I met them, but I'm sure it wasn't like I wasn't like jumping up and down excited. Um, I probably just said, thanks, but no thanks. But they came back and they were really nice and they were really genuine and honest and they kept inviting me to things, kept inviting me just to hang out, go play basketball, go do stuff on campus. And I did. And over a year of that, I think God used their unconditional love because it would have been easy for them to be like, this is not an easy target here. Let's go somewhere else and try someone that might be a little closer to Jesus already. But they didn't. They stuck with me. And God used their unconditional love and their friendship to draw me back into relationship with him and to set my life in a different direction and give me a longing for ministry myself, which I'm so thankful for. And when I talk about unconditional love, I can't skip my wife because it's probably not easy to be married to me. But most of us who are married know our spouse's Man, do they show us the love of Jesus in a lot of awesome ways. And then I would end by saying I had a few, um, once I got into ministry, mentors and people that discipled me. I think of my first boss, Barb Wagonfier, she taught me a lot of things, but one that I remember is that people are always more important than program. No matter what we're trying to put on in the church, don't ever let someone standing there by themselves because you feel like you've got better things to do. Take the time for people. They're the reason that you're there. And so that's always been impactful for me. There's an old retired general named O. Sampson from the Air Force who was in our church that I went to play tennis with early in the mornings, and we would go to IHOP afterwards every time. And he, man, the way that he loved the waitstaff at IHOP was inspiring. He got to know their names. He knew all about their lives and their kids. He prayed for them every time that we were together, no matter who the server was, He would stop them and he would pray for them and he would love them so well and I remember sitting in a Panera we went to a lot of restaurants together I guess and he was asking me something about ministry and about my wife's involvement and I I just remember saying something like well I don't think that's a very good idea and I remember he said Colin I don't really care about what you think I care I care way more what the Lord thinks like would you take some time to pray about it and then get back to me And tell me what you think then. And like at first, I was kind of like, whoa, okay. But the more I thought about it, I was like, man, I love it that someone's willing to say that to me, to point me in the right direction and make me want to seek God's opinion, not just make up my own mind right away. And then there was an old guy named Uncle Cliffy, Cliff Anderson, who was like a 35-year veteran in young life and was a pastor in our church. And he was our mentor to all the youth staff there. And he, man... He did a lot of great things. Um, But his time with us was all about pointing us to Jesus. He's like, listen to your talk to the, you know, 56ers, fifth fifth graders last night. Didn't hear you talk about Jesus. You know, every time, like, if you're going to be talking, open your mouth. I want you to be talking about Jesus. I always want you to be telling people about Jesus. You're missing the point if you're not talking about Jesus. That That was his thing. And it was so helpful that he was always telling us you need to be telling people about Jesus. Everything you're talking about has to do with Jesus in some way. And so you need to make sure you're mentioning his name uh, as you're talking about him. I'm so thankful for those people. I'm thankful for people that do these kinds of things. And as we think about being four in the weeks upcoming, we think about going out, loving our city, loving other people well, going into the world, uh, I would hope that we start by saying, let's be these things for each other. To be a Christ-centered church, it means we're going to do these things for each other. We're going to start right here in this room, in this building, in our youth group, whatever it may be, that we do them for each other first. In fact, the last verse that I'll give you here is out of John. It's out of Jesus' own mouth, where he says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple. That you love one another. That's the standard they're going to use. You can have all this other great stuff going on in the church, but people are going to know you're legit. People are going to know this place is real. People are going to know that the Kirk is really about Jesus if you guys are loving one another if we love each other well, if this is a place where we listen to each other, we pray for each other, we encourage one another, we sacrifice, we give, we take the time that we need to, we volunteer to disciple, all those things that we give ourselves to love one another, that's going to make a huge impact. That's going to make a difference when we start going outside the walls of the church and people start coming back in that they find a congregation that is Jesus first and that loves each other really, really well. And I'm excited as we move forward in this to see what Jesus does in this place. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's example in being a person who is willing to let go of what the world thought of him and sacrifice for the gospel and the good news. Thank you for the people that have done that in our lives and pray that you would lead us to do that in the lives of others, that we would start here in this place. That as we walk into this building, we would be looking for opportunities to love each other really well. Even if it means going out of our way, even if it means taking extra time, God, would you help us through your Holy Spirit to see the opportunities first and then to be bold enough to take them? And would you change this place more and more to be like you, that you would give us the best witness to glorify you in our city and in our world as we love you first and love each other well. And now, Lord, as we finish our time in worship, singing and praising you, we also want to give back to you what you've given to us. As we give our tithes and our offerings, would you use all of it, our money and our time and our words and our efforts, for your glory and to build your kingdom. We pray it all in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: salvation
1: To see when we give ourselves to Him and we commit to love each other, maybe in ways that we never have before, that we're going to go an extra step or two to go out of our way to love one another, to see how God might change us as a community. And then when we walk out into our world, to see the impact that that might have. And so I'll be praying for me as I try to be Jesus first. I'll be praying for you as you try to do the same. And as you walk out of this place today, please go with this blessing and know. That God our Father loves you more than you could ever imagine that he does. That his son Jesus wants to give you his grace and wants to walk in relationship with you and draw you close. And that you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to do all things that he calls you to do. So go in confidence as righteous ambassadors in his name. In the name of Jesus, amen.